0: Welcome to episode one of the Road Warrior Entrepreneurs Podcast, where real truckers talk real business. The Road Warrior Entrepreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Contractors Corner Consulting Group, a group created by truckers for truckers. My name is Jeff. I am one of your co hosts and a co founder of Contractors Corner Consulting Group. I have been contracting in the trucking industry for 18 years now. I leased my first truck back in 2007, and I've been going strong for the most
1: part, for that entire time. And I'm Charlie. I've been contracting for about 15 years myself. I started back in 2009 and just been trying to enjoy the journey through many struggles and wins. We are entrepreneurs who have chosen trucking as our vehicle to success. After decades of struggle and success, we founded Contractor Corner Consulting Group to serve small contractors, owner-operators, and aspiring entrepreneurs who are just starting out. So what we want to do in this podcast is bring
0: industry experts to the owner-operator and discuss best practices in our businesses.
1: As well as bringing our fellow owner-operators in to share their stories and experiences.
0: On this week's episode, we'll be talking to Colton Lawrence, the trucker CFO, about the state of the trucking industry. Colton is the founder and CEO of Trucker CFO and specializes in accounting services specific to the trucking industry.
1: This is gonna be a recast of our November 14, 2023 episode of Contractors Corner Live on YouTube, a weekly show that airs every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern where we take your questions live. This conversation covers both the struggles we face in 23 as well as where Colton thinks we're headed in 24. Now let's get into it.
0: When we talk to people, Colton, There seems to be only two types of people in the industry right now. There's the people that are doom and gloom, and one of the gods is coming back next week. That's how bad it is. All that. We're done. And then there's the people that have rose-colored glasses, and everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. And those two types of people really bother me, Colton.
2: (laughs) Well... I think I may have even said this on that podcast. I can tell you what you want to hear, or I can tell you the way it is. I try not to be doom and gloom. I don't want to be that doom and gloom person. But the fact of the matter is right now, it's a bit of a bloodbath. It really is. It's that way for a reason, and it actually needs to be that way in order for the market to correct itself. The big question is, is how long? That's what everybody wants to know. If I could pinpoint that to a specific point in time, I'd probably be pretty rich, but it is very hard. I think I said in the podcast, consensus is somewhere between six and 18 months. I tend to lean more towards the 18 months. There's a number of things that could impact that and push it out further or maybe push it up. We can talk about some of those. So we should really talk about why it's been as bad as it is right now, because it is bad. You can't ignore that. There are companies, big and small, going out of business all over the place and trucks coming off the road, capacity coming off the road. And again, that's needed. But to maybe be more towards what you're looking for, Jeff, we can talk about what folks can do to weather the storm and not have to feel the doom and gloom as much as perhaps some are. And more importantly, weather it in a way that you don't end up being one of the companies that helps in the reduction of capacity. You want to be one of the ones that survives. So we can talk about all those things.
0: The thing is, you have to see reality for what it is. Charlie and I recently have been really holding people's feet to the fire when they tell us they want to be an owner-operator. We want to know why. We want to know that they have a plan. We want them to know that things are not great right now. They're jumping in at a pretty bad time, for real. But some people, they're into it. If you're one of those people, if you're in business, you need to understand where the market is. It's not, to me, something to be scared of. It's just the way it is. And there's things that we can do. One of the things on the DAT IQ today, Colton, that boggles my mind. They said that in the last quarter, they saw an increased use or sign up for discount fuel cards. Just now. Why are you waiting until fuel is at
1: $5 a gallon to get a discount fuel card? is we're on the downslide of that. They're going down now. And just now, just, oh, I better get a discount fuel card. I mean, look, we're glad
2: you're getting them. Yeah, better late than never. But
1: holy crap. You probably see them, some of your clients
0: maybe that you don't like to mention, but they exist, that buy high and sell low in the stock market and think they're doing good.
2: Yeah, I saw it a lot with crypto. We had a lot of people making decent money in crypto in 2021. And then in 2022, the people that jumped in in 2022, man, they took it in the shorts. They took it. Um, we wouldn't
0: know anything about that, Charlie and I.
2: Yeah i tell people just to stay away from that stuff it was fun though it was fun not... i bought some bitcoin at what 18 ish and wrote it up to 65 and saw it come back down and i was like ooh, maybe i should get out i ended up making a little bit of money but say all the time you got to trust the professionals i don't know that there is such a thing as professional when it comes to bitcoin
0: we <laughs> <laughs> in our group bitcoin
1: john
2: yeah that guy's actually been successful it's amazing but he's long-term yeah you got to be in for the long haul that's for sure
1: On this stuff, though, what we're seeing is first, before I ask this question, we need a definition of tender rejection so that people can understand that first, because then I want to actually dip into that and part of that podcast.
2: So before I dip into what the tender rejection is, let's start with there's two primary markets when it comes to rates. You've got contract rates and you've got spot rates. So the contract market is going to be primarily for your larger motor carriers. So for you guys, Swift, they have contract rates, Knights, here England, even FedEx. There's a lot of contract rates out there. There are smaller carriers, your 100, 200 truck fleets that have some contract freight. More of those types of carriers are gonna be spot market or a mix of both. So what happens is they set those contract rates and they generally will go out anywhere from six to 18 months. When things were really going well, the carriers were pushing for those contract rates to be 12, 18 months. Shippers were obviously pushing for them to be six months or less. there's this whole market, you got the salespeople and you got the shippers and they're all doing what they can to try and get the best rates for the longest or shortest period of time. As the carriers have that contract freight and they have to guarantee a certain amount of capacity to haul that freight, there are usually clauses within their contracts that allow them to reject loads based on the price. So if they've got an opportunity, they being the carrier, have an opportunity at a better load outside of that contract, they can pursue it and they can reject their contract load. And what happens with that contract load is it then gets pushed over to the spot market. Makes it sound less than what it is, but it really isn't. It's just the way the market works. So it gets pushed to the spot market. That happens through brokers. It happens through load boards. There's all different kinds of ways that people can then have access to that spot load and the spot market in general. And that's where your owner operators come in your one truck owner operators all the way up to the smaller fleets that are trying to go after that. So that brings us to the tender rejection rate. So what is the tender rejection rate? It's the number of loads that are the percentage of loads that are rejected by the contract carriers and then pushed to the spot market. So when things were really bumping along in 2021 through to start of 2022, the tender rejection rate was up around 30% three out of every 10 loads, contract loads, was rejected and pushed to the spot market. You compare that to today where it's somewhere between three and 4%, so three to four out of every hundred instead of three out of every 10. Well, that is bad enough as it is. There's a lot less in terms of volume going to the spot market, but then you add to that what happened when the tender rejection rate jumped up to 30% and there was all of these loads that needed to be hauled. You had a whole bunch of capacity come into the market you also had a whole bunch of capacity come into the contract market because rates were good everywhere. So there was this huge increase in capacity. It was needed to accommodate the amount of volume that was out there at that time. Now what's happened is that volume has come back down. You talk to people and a lot of people think, well, volumes are just way, way down. Like what is going on? There's nothing to be hauled out there. fact of the matter is it's not like they bottomed out and just hit the floor. We're actually seeing volumes that are right around your 2018, 2019 levels and a little bit above. It's just that we've taken the bubble, the COVID bubble out of the equation. That volume related to COVID comes out of the market, but yet you've still got all this capacity that flooded the market because of this COVID bubble. You now have way too much or an excess of capacity to haul the number of loads that are out there, both in contract and spot. So the only thing that can happen, and it's not fun, is for that capacity to disappear. Well, how does it disappear? It disappears by people going bankrupt, going out of business, trucks coming off the roads, drivers losing their jobs. So that's the doom and gloom side of it is that's happening. And that's not easy for anybody,
1: but that's the reality of it. And that's what a lot of people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the guys that are going out of business. And quite honestly, we need that mass exodus to happen, to get those rates up, to mellow out or level out the field out there. Because like you said, it's not the volume that's the problem of freight. It's all these guys that went out and bought hundred thousand dollar trucks for $200,000 and are so damn stubborn They ain't letting it go. And the banks won't take them back.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit right now. So you have this huge influx of capacity that came into the market. At that time, what was going on is actually still kind of going on, but it's eased some, mainly because the demand isn't there anymore. But in the new truck market, the OEMs, they couldn't keep up with the demand. In fact, it was very hard to come by a new truck. You had trucks that were completely ready to go other than what a chip sitting in lots across the country waiting for that chip to come over from taiwan primarily or wherever else it may have come from so you couldn't get a new truck so what happened to the used truck market you are seeing three to five hundred thousand mile trucks 2015 16 17 model years that were selling for more than a new truck People were buying them. There's a reason they were priced that way is because people were buying them, and people were buying them because people were like, "Well, it doesn't matter what I pay for this truck, I can make money with this truck." The gold rush was on. So you see that going on, and the other important thing is, how were they buying those trucks? They were buying them with PPP funds. They were buying them with idle loans or SBA loans. There was a lot of free and really cheap money out there. So we've got examples of clients all over that went out and bought dozens of trucks. Yeah, flip side is they're cheap now. They're not as cheap as I think they're going to get. They are coming back down. But so you had people buying all these trucks. Well, that's just exacerbated the problem because now you've got people that are in these loans, even if they're low interest rate loans, they got when money was cheap, but they can't afford it because the rates that are out there aren't enough to support the use of that truck. And so people are going bankrupt. Again, it's sad, but that's what's going on. We had that glutton of
1: money on the rates being so crazy, like, oh, I'll buy the truck. It'll be fine. And they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this $98,000 pickup truck and it'll be fine. And I'm going to buy this and I'm going to buy that. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But then the rates start dropping and you can't get loads that are paying what you need to cover the truck, let alone all this crazy crap that you got going on at the house. And you were living high on the hog, but nobody was scrolling anything way. And look, I'm one of those guys. I've had a string of crap. This year has been the perfect storm of this year has been the worst year of business for me. But medical issues, this, that, and the other thing, you know what I mean? It's just been one thing after another. So I don't have the reserves that I should have. Yet these guys that were out there slaying it, and I mean slaying it with $5 rates, right? Put nothing away. And nobody's willing to cut back there. They're like, well, I should be able to get a better rate. And it's my carrier. It's my broker. It's this. It's
2: that. It's everything but them. Well, there was also the mindset that this was the new norm. It was going to stay this way. I've got a buddy who is an owner of a trailer dealership in town. I actually used to be a part owner in that that dealership. So I know him well and I was talking to him the other day and the salesmen were just killing it because people were coming in and paying top dollar, not just for trucks, but for trailers too. These salesmen were making more money than they had ever made. And in many cases, making what they normally made over the course of four or five years they were making in one right. year. He told me, he's like, yeah, I told these guys, put some away. It's not going to be like this forever. And they didn't because they're like, it's going to last. It's, it's going to be like this right. for a while. And we know it's going to turn. And the folks that understood the economics of it were saying it's going to turn. It's going to be rough. We all said it during the holy crap time. But yeah, unfortunately, very few people actually put the money away. And I don't know that people really fully understood that it was going to be quite this bad. You know what's bad? When today there was an article on Fox News about what's going on in the trucking industry. Not a lot of people, other than people in the industry, pay attention to the trucking industry, right? Right. They just know their stuff is there at the store and they can buy it or get shipped to their doorstep and don't really pay attention to it much other than when they get mad at one of you guys out on the road. So what's going on there? They are putting an article on Fox news and that tells you right there that it's bad because it wouldn't be on there if it wasn't really, really bad. So Jeff, sorry to be doom and gloom. No, it's just data. Yeah, it right. is just the data. And I mean, it's important to understand the data so that we can understand, stop being so doom and gloom and say, okay, what do we do to survive? And what are right. you doing to survive?
0: I mean, we've had a few discussions on our private Facebook group where I've told guys, look, man, if you're done, you're done. I get it. Things are really tough. You can't make your house payment, whatever. Freight's slow for us right now. But do you have a plan? What are you going to do? This isn't going to last forever. Do you want to be in business again someday? Because we can help you with that. Maybe you prepare a little bit better for the next round. I don't want people to think that if you're one of those guys that's helping with reducing our capacity, that you're some bad person or something. That's not the case. And guess what? You can make money out here. There are people making money
2: even through this. I know a lot of them. So the important thing is rather than focusing on the doom and gloom and that people have to go out of business, it's where can you make money? I will tell you right now, I still get questions from people hey, should I go out and get my own authority? And I tell people right now, the answer to that is just no. Why would you go out and get your own authority to haul spot market loads when the average load on the spot market compared to the average load in contract freight is 75 cents lower per mile? Why would you do that? I think it's 75 cents per mile lower than a contract load. So you want to be in contract freight. Well, who has a contract freight? Swift has contract freight. There's lots of others that have contract freight. So that's one good decision right there is haul contract freight.
0: Well, one of the things that I've seen in the past, because this is not the first time this has happened in my career, is not so much this time, which is a little weird, but the last couple of times we saw people come in to SWIFT putting their authorities on hold and coming to SWIFT to get that contract freight. Because out there, they just weren't making what they were used to. They were just trying to keep the lights on until things turned around. That's a legitimate thing to do. And I don't care if it's SWIFT, JB Hunt, whoever. Going after that contract freight is probably the wise course of action right now. I was watching the DAT IQ today. They had a comment from one of their viewers. And they're like us, Charlie. They have tens of viewers. The DAT guys. One guy said he's getting tired of people saying don't take cheap freight. He's like, well, what's cheap freight? He's got a contract at his home that pays a lot of money to go out from home to wherever. And then he hits the DAT board just to get back and pay for fuel. He doesn't care what that rate is. He's making all of his money on that contract freight that he's got coming out of his house. He's just got to get back there to grab the next okay. load. So there's some of that going on too. There's this thing out there in the social media universe where people are saying, don't take cheap freight. And Charlie and I have always been, well, tell me what cheap freight is. We haul freight at $1.15 a
2: mile plus surcharge and we make money. And would you rather take cheap freight or deadhead? Take the cheap freight. So understanding where you're going. I know you guys are picking loads off the swift boards. I mean, there's lots of carriers do it a lot of different ways. Understanding where the freight is and where the markets are good is really important. You might see a really good load taking you up to Montana how are you going to get out of Montana? And what are you going to get paid for that? Or are you going to have to deadhead? And are you smart enough? Are you looking at the whole picture and saying to yourself, maybe I should turn down this really good load and take more of an average load to get me into Ohio, where I'm going to be able to get another decent load to somewhere else in the Midwest, Texas or Louisiana? Understanding those so that your average stays stronger is important and not getting yourself into areas where you're going to have to take really, really cheap freight or perhaps deadhead. And this
0: is what we call, I'm going to offend people now, this is what we call doing business. I pay attention to several Facebook pages just to see what people are saying. And it's amazing to me how there's just a lack of personal ownership of business out there in the trucking industry. It's amazing to me. Guys, take ownership of your business. Make decisions that are good for you and your business. Don't worry about somebody being mad at you for taking that load for $1.80 if it gets you to that place where you've got freight over $2. Let them worry about themselves. You worry about you. I see people get discouraged because they're susceptible to that kind of criticism. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. You run your business. You're doing better than that guy. At least you're looking at the rates and lanes. And that's what you have to do, especially in this environment.
1: And people just don't, in this whole cheap freight thing, They don't look at what your cost to operate is versus my cost to operate is. I pay a lot less for insurance than a lot of people out there. I pay a lot less for fuels than a lot of people out there. My truck payment, while it seems high up front, when you look at some of these guys that are going out and trying to finance trucks right now, if they can even get someone to finance them, the interest rates that you said it in your podcast, 10, 18, 20, even higher percentage hits on those. Good God, man. So yeah, my truck payment may be six seventy a week, which sounds high overall. But when I'm seeing some of these guys, if they could get into brand new equipment, would be paying twenty percent on top of that. I know for a fact I'm not paying that. I know you've looked at some of our numbers and I believe we're down around that eight or nine percent number, I think is where we fit in the overall picture of the percentage side. I don't know, man, it just seems crazy to be hitting these super high interest rates right now. There's been some comments in here and I'm sorry if I don't put it up right now, but some people have said, "Why are you buying equipment to make so little per mile?" and it just doesn't make sense. And I say I disagree in that I am running a business and I have a piece of equipment. Another comment is, "You're just killing your truck early." And no, I'm not because I'm maintaining my truck. I'm investing in that piece of equipment. I just put new steer tires on today. Luckily, I won some tires. I scored. I'm not going to lie. So I just put those tires on today and I actually needed to put them on earlier than I should have because I failed to do a little bit of proper maintenance on my steer tires because I just did it. I'm just a- uh-huh. But now I can tell you that these are going to last me longer because I took some maintenance precautions with that. Purchased some shocks today and we were talking about when should you change shocks and things like that. And we've got a couple different schools of thought on that. And I'm going back to the when you change your tires, change your shocks. So I bought shocks for the front of the truck. I'll put them on tomorrow probably. I'll have that done. They're balanced. They're going to last longer. Hopefully I'll get closer to 250, 300,000 miles out of this next set of steers because I will maintain them a little bit better. This is a true statement for some that you're chasing freight and all these miles and you're wearing out your truck faster. I get where you're saying that, but if you're working smarter and maintaining your truck, we can run them up to 2 million miles right now. So the return on investment the ROI, as it's called, is tremendous if you're managing your business and your home finances. I mean, Chewy's got 1.7 million miles on it. I paid $42,000 for that truck. I assure you, I made way more money on that truck than I ever spent in repairs, paying for it, for fuel, for anything else. That truck was a freaking dollar mint. I don't get that. So I'm sorry, I had to get into some of those questions that were popping up. And I apologize for not putting you guys up individually, but I wanted to touch on a bunch of them at one time.
0: So, getting back to everybody wants to know when is this going to be over, and the fact is, Colton, nobody knows. We follow several analysts. We talked to Adam Miller, the CEO of Swift. You would love the guy; he's a total numbers geek. Get him talking about numbers, and you're there for the day. He flat refuses to make any predictions
1: at all at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. He made that mistake once almost a year ago. And he was like, nah, nah, nope,
2: nope, not again. <laughs> it didn't work out well. Yeah. He's got to worry about stock price and there's other oh, things yeah. going on there that he's got to consider. But you want my two cents? Absolutely. That's why we bring you here, sir? Yeah, so I said six to 18 months. I think there's a number of things that can play into whether it's going to be six or 18 and perhaps a little bit of up and down in the meantime, in between time, maybe. Did you know there's an election coming up next year? Yeah. I don't know if we want to talk politics here. I think I know where you guys all stand, but-
0: Yeah, just to offend half our audience. That's yeah, right. well,
2: in any case, <laughs> we don't have to get into it, but the fact of the matter is, and it doesn't matter who's in the office or not, when an election year comes around, there are things that are done to give the appearance of things being better. I think we saw it here just a week or two ago. Yeah, I was trying to remember exactly when it was with interest rates. Mm-hmm. What have they done? You've been hearing that interest rates are probably going to go up another quarter to a half point again. They didn't. Why is that? Some people will say it's just because we didn't need it. I'm personally of the opinion that it didn't because the politics are going to start to come into play with this. The fact of the matter is the current administration will have a really hard time getting reelected if interest rates are sitting for homes at 8%, 9 10%, they need them to come back down. So you're going to see some of that going on in the next year. And so I think as a result, you might see an easing of some of the issues that are plaguing the markets we've just been talking about. And then once the election passes, you probably see some of that reverse again. And there's also a whole list of other geopolitical factors that could play into this. What's going to happen in Israel? Is China going to invade Taiwan? There's all these things that you can't know and that would have a huge impact on things. If China invades Taiwan and things get worse in the Middle East and Russia continues what they're doing with Ukraine, frankly, you're looking at a scenario that we probably really don't want to make. If you want to talk doom and gloom, let's talk that scenario, Jeff. If things stay status quo, then an election was not a factor in this then I think it's easier to come in and say, well, you're looking at eight months or 10 months, but there's just so many unknowns that nobody really can do that.
0: We tell people all the time, we don't like to do politics politics on the show, but we do encourage people to pay attention because like it or not, no matter how you personally vote or who you support, whatever, politics absolutely affects the economy. So pay attention to what these people are saying or what they're doing. Nobody's got a crystal ball, but depending on who's got the talking
1: stick at the time, I guess you could call it, they have an agenda know what that agenda is and how it's going to affect your business. Yeah. I mean, you can look at California fuel prices for this week, 11, almost 12 cent drop this week. And there was some magic that happened out there this week. The average national fuel drop for the last three weeks was 16 cents overall, whereas the West Coast pad five went down like 21 cents for the same period. California had an election last week. Right. So here's <laughs> the funny part about that is on the week that ended at 1030, the drop on pad five was pretty on par with what the national did the week of 11, six, pretty on par with what the national did on this week. It was a much steeper drop. We did seven cents on national and 12 cents on California. I don't know. Seems coincidental. Maybe. So Colton, Tim's got an interesting thing that I want to touch on. Tim ransom says when the economy
0: went bad in 08, it took almost two years for it to get back to normal. So you're an accountant type. How long have we been in this decline so far?
2: Well, yeah, it really started to turn early in 2022. We're, we're coming up on two years. Keep in mind, this is a much different situation than what we had in 08, and I think it is going to take longer. There's no way this turns around in the early part of 2024. Nobody has the
0: old magic wand.
2: Yeah. It would be
1: a global something that made it turn around drastically. Maybe another pandemic. Who
2: wants that? So it's important to understand why we are where we are. And it's also important to understand what is normal. So I think the comment there was, it took two years to get back to normal. Well, what is normal? If your thought is that normal is the way it was in 21 and 22, we're not getting back to that normal, maybe forever. So
0: most of the analysts that I follow, Colton, and you may be of the same mind, they're not saying year over year right now. They're saying we're pretty close to 2019 levels. Mm -hmm. That's the year they're looking at,
2: it seems as being normal. Yep. I've got some numbers in front of me here. So 2019 volumes, I'm going to spit out the number. This won't mean a whole lot without seeing a graph in front of you, but 2019 volumes, 9,552.28. So just call it 9,500. 2023 volumes, 11,527. So volume is higher in 2023 compared to 19. Rejection, so going back to that tender rejection rate, rejection rate in 19 was 5.38%. We're currently sitting at 3.51. So we've got more volume, but the rejection rate is still significantly lower and why is that? It's because you've still got so much more capacity compared right. to what we had in 2019. So the-
1: Capacity being trucks.
2: Trucks. Yep. So again, it just brings us back to we need capacity to come out of the market, or we need volume to go up, or we need some combination of the two. I don't see volumes rising in any meaningful way, at least not enough to combat where the rejection rate's are right now. So what do we need? We need capacity to come out why do I not see your capacity going up? Well, this goes to another point that I was making in the podcast, and that is we're running out of money. People are running out of money to buy the things that cause that volume. Back during COVID, what were they using to create that volume? They were using their stimulus checks. They were using other free money that they were getting And you got California that in 2022 did something similar. They gave $700 to everybody. So there was all this free money around and people use that to Mm -hmm. buy TVs or buy whatever. And that's not there now. So what are people using to continue pumping in the volumes that we're seeing? Credit. Credit. So you were
0: saying on the podcast that credit usage is back up to historical highs again.
2: Credit card debt is at historical highs.
0: And it looked like after 2008, the light bulb came on for the country and that declined for several years
1: after Mm -hmm. that
2: one. People got and smart. Now we're, now, now we're dumb again. Yeah, we're dumb again.
1: <laughs> well, it goes back to that living by your means thing, right? Because all of a sudden they had this cash influx, the stimulus checks and all that kind of crap. And they're like, oh, I like spending money like this. It did what it was supposed to do in the very short term. It got people out there buying. Look, I bought guns. That made sense to me. It yeah. seemed like a good investment. Prices were down and they were out there. And man, ammo was stupid priced, but whatever, stocked up on that too. That's what I did. Wasn't probably the smartest choice, but to me, it made sense. But then they got used to that spending again, right? And then the money's not coming in anymore. They're not getting any more of these stimulus checks. They're like, oh, but I want this doohickey. I got a credit card.
2: I'm going to go buy it. And low interest rates are still happening. So what happens when people run out of credits? When that $5,000 visa credit limit is gone, They might go out and get another credit card for $5,000, but eventually they're not going to be able to get the credit and the interest rates will start to play a role in that. So when the credit card, credit availability dries up and people have to actually start paying this stuff back, it's not like they just can pay down the credit card and all of a sudden start using it again. The interest rate on these things is going to take up more of their income that they have available. So you're looking at a further delay of the correction of this because you're going to actually see volumes probably go down rather than up. So not only are they probably going to go down, you've got further capacity that needs to come out of the market to offset that reduction in demand that I probably see happening. So that's why I personally lean more towards the two years, the 18 months to two years from now is because there's just a lot of other stuff that has to happen outside of the trucking industry to correct
0: this. So. Do you think, Colton, that when this is over, so again, Charlie and I have been in business long enough to have seen a couple of these, not lasting this long, but we've seen a couple. What we've seen on the other side of these is just a couple of good years of time to save money, which nobody does. But on the other side of this, are we going to see that kind of bump? All oh, right, right. We can take a breather for a couple of years before the next one hits because there'll always be a next one.
2: I think it depends on who you are. I think if you are somebody who bought really high, let's say you bought that 2018 Greatliner Cascadia at $180,000, with 500,000 miles on it, you're going to be sitting in a situation where you're going to be paying on that truck a lot longer, perhaps not longer, but more of your income is going to go to that truck. So you're going to have less opportunity compared to somebody else to go out and survive quicker. So the person that bought a truck either before prices really went crazy or somebody who waited and didn't buy high, and is now going to be able to take advantage of buying low, they're going to be able to make money sooner compared to the person who bought really high. Again, it depends on who you are and what your situation is, what your debt looks like, what type of freight you're hauling. There's all those things that go into it. And that's why it'll be a gradual correction because gradually you will start to see people pulling out of this as the market does correct. But it's not like it's just going to be an overnight thing where all of a sudden everybody starts making money again.
1: Tim Sabern here said, I'm still trying to see why capacity is so bad. Why did it tank? During COVID, we ran great. We had freight. It wasn't until a year after Trump left office that this thing tanked. So I don't think we can blame COVID for it for that very reason. I think that Colton already answered that though.
0: It was a perfect storm of a lot of. Right. Things. You no. I just didn't want to skip
1: over that because no. I think it's an important point.
2: Was he asking about capacity or is he asking about, so I don't see why capacity is so bad. I think what he's asking is the number of loads that are out there because the capacity yeah. is actually still high. The capacity didn't tank. We actually need capacity to come out of the market. So what happened, why the volumes tanked, and keep in mind, you got to understand what we're saying when we say tanked. It didn't actually tank. It tanked in comparison to where things were at their peak, but in comparison to 19, it didn't tank, right? I just gave a metric, 9,500. I know that doesn't mean anything, but just use it for a point of reference. Volumes were at 9,500 in 19. They're now at eleven five in 23. In 20 and 21, they were up around 16,000. So why were volumes so high? Because everybody had their 750 to three four thousand dollar stimulus check from the government mm-hmm. that they didn't have to do anything for other than breathe and file a tax return. they then took to Best Buy or to Walmart or to wherever to buy stuff. and most of that stuff they actually ordered from the comfort of their couch had to be shipped right to the store and then shipped to your house. And so there was all this stuff. Well, that money is gone. It might sound not as much of an impact when you're envisioning just yourself, but when you envision 200 million households across the country with that kind of money to spend and they spent it, that's what created the bubble. And it was intended to. They wanted, they being the government, they wanted to stimulate the economy because when COVID hit, obviously the economy just completely tanked. Everything was shut down. So they needed to get things going again. They just overdid it. And that, again, not to talk politics, but that's where politics comes into this, because they were giving out free money after the COVID pandemic had really done its damage. The economy was running again, got back up on its feet, and yet they were still giving out free money. Why?
1: Yeah, that was kind of weird to me. So easy, simple numbers, $700 times 200 million households is $140 billion. That's a lot of influx for nothing. Yeah, my stimulus
0: was closer to 3500 because of all the kids. Yeah, right. And you add that in and there was a
2: couple rounds. Yeah. and
0: one of the things we did with it was buy some laptops because guess what we were doing? School at
2: home. So when that money's not there anymore, believe it or not, people do actually think about spending money on a credit card. So when it was just free money, they didn't think about what they were buying. They just went out and bought because it was free money. Now they still want to spend, but they have to spend it on a credit card because real wages are actually down because of inflation. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're using the credit card and they think about it a little bit more, but they also know, oh, I have to pay the piper for a while, so let's just go out and buy it. So that's why volumes, they've come down again, looking at 19, 9,500, now eleven five At the peak, we were at 15 to 16. So they haven't right. taped, they've just come back down and are actually still above the pre-COVID levels.
0: So what we're really, really
1: talking about here is a glut of capacity.
2: Right now because of credit card
1: usage. And we saw a lot of that capacity we saw come in were people who had nothing to do with the trucking industry beforehand. There was a ton of outside investment in garbage trucks at a premium price. They're they're like, I'm going to go buy 10 trucks and throw a couple of drivers in it. My buddy's driven the truck, so I'm going to let him run the company. It'll be great. And I'm going to make all this money. And these guys are not backing out. There is a lot of people that are out in this industry capacity-wise that honestly never should have entered except for the fact that it was so damn high How could you pass it up at the time? And they didn't think that it would ever come down. They didn't think it was ever going to drop. And Cole, you know about my thing, I almost went out and got my own authority in 21. Boy, that had
0: been a mistake. Yeah. Luckily, I have friends like Charlie that I could bounce numbers off of that know the industry. We bounce numbers all the time to help each other make better decisions. You got to have people like that, whether you use trucker CFO for that or us or your other owner-operator buddy. Talk about the business how you're doing and what your next move might be. That's the first part of our conversation with Colton Lawrence, the trucker CFO, discussing market conditions as we roll into 2024. We want to thank Colton for his time and perspective. You can get connected with Colton through his website at truckercfo.com
1: or by calling 800-533-4230. Once again, the website is truckercfo.com or give him a call at 800-533-4230. We'll be continuing our conversation with Colton in our next episode where we'll look at the spot market as well as other topics related to our businesses. You can
0: connect with Contractors Corner Consulting Group through our website at contractorscorner.cc on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash contractorscornerconsulting. We would also love to see you on our live Q&A on YouTube every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern where we answer your questions live and in person. Our YouTube channel is located at youtube.com forward slash at contractorscornerconsulting. Check the show notes for links to everything we
1: discussed today. Once again, want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Road Warrior Entrepreneurs Podcast, and we look forward to you tuning into the next episode. Until then, look after each other. There's no one out here looking after us but us, so you guys take care of each other, be safe, stay healthy, and be profitable.